Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Chris Graham. We're going to talk NASCAR with Rod Mullins. And uh, uh, exciting race Saturday night. Rod, we've been working towards uh, the final race of the regular season for a few weeks. All the stakes, all the implications. There was one spot open. Bubba Wallace started the night in 16th place very precariously, though, because there were a number of drivers behind him that, with a win, would have passed him and taken that 16th spot. For a while there, quite any number of those guys were in the running in the top five, even with the lead a few different times. Very Chase Elliott was one of those guys in the mix uh, for quite a bit uh, to, to sneak in with the win. In the end, Wallace does get the 16th spot as Chris Busher, a guy mm-hmm. just a few weeks ago we wouldn't have thought of as being the hottest guy on the track. He's won three of the last five races now. Boy, a lot going on at Daytona. And have even talked about the fact that Ryan Priest and uh, his his horrible crash. Fortunately, he's in is he's in good shape health wise now. But so much to unpack from Saturday night. Oh yeah, this was uh, this was one of those races that I didn't expect a lot of things to happen. Um, well, I kind of expected the big one. Uh, we had the big one. Uh, we had a couple of those, if you want to call it that. But we had a real big one that took out. Mm, a number of good cars or at least hampered their chances at trying to win or get back up to the front again. Um, We had the situation of Chase Elliott trying to get into the playoffs. We had Daniel Suarez trying to get into the playoffs. Uh, Eric Jones, you had a number of these guys all trying to get that final 16th spot that Bubba Wallace was desperate to hold on to the entire race. Um, You know, if, the chance was that he would get into the playoffs if, you know, one of the previous winners, somebody won again. Well, they got that wish because Chris Busher ended up winning the race. I think what got me, though, we hadn't expected this. Uh, we ex- expected at times seeing uh, two-line driving, you know, with the, with the draft and so forth with the cars. But some of these cars broke from what I would say is uh, – a next generation sort of feature on the car, they broke and actually started going three and four wide at times on the track, three wide, especially. And uh, they were drafting. They were all drafting together. But if you t- made one move out, you shot backwards in the field and it was hard for you to even have a place to try to get back up and try to at least contend again at the front. You know, it came down here also to the end that we had, uh, fuel came into play with this thing. A bunch of the teams were going to have to go in and they were going to have to top off and get some fuel, hoping that uh, they could do so. Maybe if a caution flag came out, but it ended up they had to do green flag stops to where they could get back out there on the field. And they just got a four or five second flash or uh, splash of uh, gas in the car and they went back out there. And then we had the Ryan Priest situation. And never in my lifetime have I seen a car. I I take that back. I've seen a number of wrecks. I've seen uh, the ones on television, not seen any in person uh, as violent as what that wreck was on uh, television the other night. And I'm telling you, I think I counted somewhere. We were talking about this before we recorded somewhere between, I thought about 11. You said you'd heard someone say 12, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, 
I had to say it's somewhere between 10 and 12, but those were some of the most violent spins and turns I have ever seen in a race car before. Now, there will be people that will say Austin Dillon, when he went through the fence there at Daytona at one point, uh, hooked the fence. I think a lot of people went back to Jeff Bodine driving the truck series, and he took out the fence uh, right toward the latter stages of that particular race that he was driving in for the uh, truck series. But, uh, you know, you have to say one thing, NASCAR safety precautions in this next generation car has definitely proven to be life-saving in this case, because Ryan Priest, you know, they got him out of the car, they immediately put him on the stretcher, and when they did, they took him to Halifax Medical Center, checked him out, and then, oh gosh, I guess it was about three, four o'clock in the morning, we got an announcement saying something. Um, I think I even woke up in the middle of the night, saw the announcement and said, you know, they're going to keep him there and stuff. They were going to keep him at Halifax for a little while. And then later on in the morning, he's out of there. He's going back to going back home to Charlotte. Um, it was a wild race. I, I can't think of um, any other wild race that I've ever seen like that, especially on a super speedway like Daytona. And, uh, I even read, uh, an article today, started reading on the article, didn't finish it. Uh, but Jalopnik, uh, com has got an article on there saying super speedways. We need to rethink this about the super speedways. Well, folks, I'm telling you, you don't go and you don't, uh, stir up a hornet's nest and stir up a yellow jacket's nest by going in and saying, we're going to change the way they run at super speedways. This is what the fans want. They want to see them. They want to see them drafting and moving around and so forth and bumping to try to get around and get that draft. Um, you know, it's not the super speedway's fault. It's not, you know, it's the driving. It's the aggressive driving and, and so forth. And really, it was an aggressive mood or move that uh, sent Ryan Priest spinning. I mean, it just happened to be that the car, the other car that he was involved with, pushed him down through there a little bit, but then when he got out in the open, air got up underneath that car, and then it started taking the tumbles, and that's what was really scary on Saturday night. I saw some people talking, and I think it was you know some informed speculation uh, about what the that wreck may have exposed about this next gen car. Um, have you have you gotten into that at all? And and what what people are talking about from in terms of the mechanics, aerodynamics? I mean. That was that was a as you mentioned the most violent spin we've mm -hmm. seen in a long time. Uh, you know, I've not really got into a whole lot of it. I just know that we talked about it at first. I think one thing that stood out with me about that particular wreck was you've got a solid bottom now on that next generation car. I mean, it's just a solid piece. I know it's kind of pieced together and so forth, but it's solid underneath. It's not like a regular old stock car that used to be that you know you could go up under there the engine and so forth and then in the tail section of course you could see where it's at least the supports are to keep the fuel tank and everything kind of protected this is all solid underneath and you would think that there was no way that air could have got underneath it but it did the second thing was i didn't see well i know that there's flaps on there but the flaps that i'm used to seeing in the old cars were designed to go and create downforce, flip up when they got into the uh, point of a spin and they started tumbling and it would push them back down is what it would do. Uh, 
I didn't see that this time around. I didn't see the effectiveness maybe of the flaps as they were intended to be. Um, and another thing that we talked about too, before we started recording, you mentioned the fact of where it looked like that you could even see down into the cockpit of where Ryan Priest was sitting at. And I agree with you that that's that open door that if they can't get you out through the side window right there, they have to kind of you know get you out through that uh that roof section well that was gone that was gone completely um i think what the matter boils down to is how do you reduce the amount of energy that is being discharged in this kind of race in this kind of wreck this situation uh because to me it seemed like it wasn't slowing down there at first uh, I think it finally slowed down, I think, at one time after he caught the dirt again. And I think that was at the point where it kind of tumbled in over end at that point, because we saw the flipping this way. And then it kind of, when it turned, that's when it kind of hit. And then it flipped over this way and the energy got expelled. And then, boom, he landed on the ground. Uh, that's the big thing, I think. They've got to be able to prevent that much energy from being built up in a car and just expelling right there on the track and then possibility of somebody really, really getting hurt out of this. Yeah. I imagine there's a lot of, a lot of study being put into that wreck. Uh, a lot, a lot of uh, detail being put in by the engineers as far as uh, how to improve on the safety. As you mentioned, I mean, he, he, you know, the safety, the safety mechanisms worked. He, mm-hmm. he he's, he's walking out of that. So, um, so Chris Busher, Three wins in the last five mm-hmm. races. Uh, yep. What what is he doing right besides eating his Wheaties every morning? Yeah, well, he's eating his Wheaties and he's also <laughs> getting a paycheck from RFK Racing. Now he's getting some good sized paychecks out of this because he has finally developed into the driver that a lot of people didn't think he was going to be that kind of driver. And then at the same time, we've talked about over the last couple of weeks the resurgence of RFK. Uh, Brad Keselowski was right there. They were one and two when they crossed the finish line, and Brad Keselowski was more worried about Chris Busher crossing the finish line and securing that than he was himself. And I think that's a great testament to a car owner right there. You have some car owners that, you know, if they're driving, they're going to try to not meaning anybody in particular, but we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But if you're a car, if you're a car owner uh, and you, you know, here you are and your teammate, you kind of respect your teammate. If your teammate is in that position and he can win, you try to help him win is what you try to do. It's not like what happened here years ago when obviously it was, I think it was Wally Dollenbach or Ted Musgrave, one of the drivers that used to be with Roush and they had, I believe it was Wally Dollenbach and he had a better car. He was on a road course. And then they told him in a roundabout way, slow down and let Mark reference to Mark Martin, take over and take the lead. Uh, that, doesn't sit right with me if you've got a, a car that's never before won but you're wanting your elder statesman so to speak uh you're wanting him to win the race but you've got a car that's faster than his why slow the other car down and let him go to the front and win the race well you can win you know one and two but it kind of escapes that with me that's always escaped me why they did that but um you know this time around uh, keselowski is is becoming one of these I think he's becoming one of these respectable car owners. He's built a team back from the brink that was just about ready to give up. And uh, they just, they had nowhere else to go. 
Keselowski has brought a brand new uh, style of running things in the shops there that, uh, you know, they haven't had for a while. And I think it's, it's starting to show that much more and Hey, three wins, like you said, in five races, man, that that's an accomplishment, especially with this next generation car and what it has been so far in the last year for some of these drivers. We had so many different drivers last year, uh, you know, him, Kyle Busch, they able to get three wins there during the course of a season, William Byron with five. It seems like some of these multi-car teams to a degree, have found out now what they have to have in order to win. And I think uh, Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing has found that with Chris uh, Chris Buescher. So he gets the win. Maybe the biggest winner, though, was Bubba Wallace. Uh, He was 16th going into the race. Uh, The last playoff spot was his, but we talked about I mean, any anybody behind him who hadn't won a race this year could mm-hmm. get a win and, and sneak their way in past him. And so he, you know, and then he had to face that a lot. When you know, I, when I turned the race on late in the race after flipping channels for a while, um, I, I can't think who it was was in was in in the lead at that moment, but it was one of those guys behind him who could have mm-hmm. actually uh, supplanted him in that 16th spot. Um, he, he had to finish 13th and then have some help in the sense mm-hmm. of not letting one of those guys win. He finished, what was he finished 12th? Yeah. I he think he did a fish in 12th, something yeah, like 12th, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he did what he needed to do there. No one won ahead of him, but so he, he's, you know, he's in the spot, but then, I mean, Chase Elliott was in the top five, a lot of the race, mm-hmm. um, doesn't get the win and Chase Elliott on the outside looking in, you know, the 2020 yep. champion, uh, seven times, uh, seven times in a row in the playoffs, and he's on the outside looking in. That's, I mean, we we've been talking about him a lot these mm-hmm. last few weeks. Um, boy, he never got over the hump. It's disappointing because Hendrick Motorsports has traditionally, over the the course of this uh, playoff system, they have had usually all four cars in the playoffs. And now they only have two with William Byron and Kyle Larson. Uh, Alex Bowman didn't make it either. He was hoping to make it in. Didn't make it in. He finished uh, back in the pack a little bit more. Um, yeah, this this has been, I think, a wake-up call for Chase Elliott a little bit. Um, he made the comment, I think, in the post-race interviews. He said, you know, we did some things this year that probably we had no business doing in reference to his skiing accident. I think that had a lot to do with it. Uh, but he was quick to also defend Alan Gustafson because he says it's not exactly Alan. Not everything is Alan's fault. And they have been talking about this and they've been saying, you know, what could we do different? Well, you know, now they're going to have the time. And it's like the meme that came up on uh, Facebook during the week that I saw somebody put a uh, meme on there said, uh, well, I hope Chase has a uh, Merry New Year and a Happy Christmas or something like that. It was Kevin Harvick in the meme. And that's way that um, was addressed to him or Chase Elliott addressed it to Kevin Harvick uh, that year and so forth when uh, Harvick got knocked out of the playoffs. And, you know, he was just kind of saying about the whole thing. He says, well, better you than me in this case. Harvick's going on to the playoffs and we've not seen anything of a feud this year between those drivers. But uh, Chase Elliott's going to be doing a lot of soul searching. I think a lot of soul searching, especially in this offseason season well, what's left of the the playoff picture. He's going to try to race for pride and try to win some races out there the best he can, but he's got a lot of soul searching to do in the offseason. You don't think we'll see him snowboarding or skiing or anything like that during the season next year? Uh, no, I don't think so. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if this is not going to be a sign to some of the other drivers too, 
your ex, you know, your extracurricular activities outside of racing, you need to quit. This ought to be an example to you. Don't do it. Now, where is that going to put like a Kyle Larson, a Christopher Bell, and all these guys that run the Chili Bowl and some of these uh, open-wheel modified cars? Uh, That's going to be left up to the car ownership. That's what it's going to be. And Joe Gibbs has reluctantly let Christopher Bell run run that route. And I think Hendrick has, you know, Hendrick has been the same way. He's let Chase Elliott run it before. And uh, a couple of other drivers, but uh, I think it's going to make them think twice before. I mean, this is an investment, folks. Yes. This is an investment in a driver. This is a car owner making an investment, you know, the same way that, you know, a uh, news organization makes an investment in a particular rider. That rider has to know what they're talking about and what they're doing. The same thing with a car owner. They, they pick the best of the best and they expect them to kind of, do the very best they can to stay out of trouble. And Chase Elliott didn't do a very good job of staying out of trouble this year. That's what, that's what got him into the mess he was in and looking, you know, here on the outside, looking in for the playoffs. Yeah. If I'm writing big checks, I'm making sure you're at work. Uh, and that's, yeah. uh, that's then if, if Chase Elliott is just at work and during all those races, he misses, he's in the playoffs right now. Yeah. Uh, so Bubba Wallace is in the playoffs instead, and we talked about this last week, Rod, but I just think that for Bubba Wallace, this was a – I mean, it, this is huge, but it's also – boy, if he didn't make the playoffs this year, you'd have to start wondering. I mean, this is a guy that gets – because he's the only African-American driver on the mm-hmm. circuit now, one of the few in NASCAR history, right. uh, he gets outsized attention. And mm-hmm. um, But if he you – know, you know, there were questions. There were, there were whispers. There were murmurs. You know, this guy, he's great. He's getting all this attention. He's getting all the PR – but he's not winning races. He's not, he's not right. succeeding. Um, he didn't win the race. He hasn't won a race yet this year, but he's in the playoffs. And so mm-hmm. for him now, he's on the big stage. And hey, you know, now the focus got to be for him and his team. Let's get to the next round. Yeah, he's got to win. He's got to win in these next couple of races, or at least have a good enough performance that puts him up there because now everything's been reset. I mean, you still got the points out there, but here it is. We've got 16 drivers and now the call is being made and you can find it on some of these uh, betting sites and so forth of who's going to be the first one to go out of the playoffs. Who's going to be the one that gets kicked to the curb by the time we get to Bristol. And then after Bristol, where's that going to leave the rest of the field? Who are we going to be at that point from, uh, the 16 down to the 12 and then down to the eight at that point, And then where we go from there, uh, Bubba Wallace is one of those. Uh, I don't think in, in one aspect of it, Bubba Wallace has earned, uh, that respect, uh, that he needs to get there and race with a lot of these drivers because they're all going to be hungry. Uh, yeah, they're going to be expecting Bubba to be a little bit aggressive. I don't think he was as aggressive Saturday night in this race, uh, as a lot of people, and I don't know if you noticed it or not, they did the, the post-race interview. I didn't hear a lot of booze. I right. didn't hear a lot of booze this time around. I did hear some, but I didn't hear as many of a raucous section of booze or the whole track filling up with booze, uh, over him. Uh, it was one of those of where he had a time to reflect back on what was going on. And he said, you know, well, we made the playoffs. He really kept it short at that point, apologized to his wife. And he told her, he said, well, he said, now we got to go win the playoffs so I can go and pay this house off what we're, what we're trying to build and so forth. That would be a, that would be a good 
chunk of it taken care of if he wins that uh, that prize money out of it. But, um, yeah, he's got to prove himself, and he has to prove himself starting with this Darlington race. He can't wait until they get to Bristol. He has to wait, and he has to get everything set for Darlington, and that's this coming uh, weekend. Yeah, two career wins, I guess it is for him. And yep. one of those was a race that was um, called rain, for rain. Yep. So, you know, he didn't really have to, you know, he won the race, but he, you know, right. it wasn't a kind of the same kind of deal. Um, so uh, let's talk some off the track stuff. Uh, he whose name we don't like to say uh, has some news. <laughs> well, he whose name we don't like to use is close to supposedly <laughs> finalizing a contract supposedly with joe gibbs racing we just won't take it any further than that it's denny but, hamlin uh, I, I can yeah. i don't know if you can say it but i, can I say know oh well, well you know it's it's tough you know and i, I really didn't take my anti-puking medicine before we did the podcast here so i mean i'm sorry i mean i'm i'm getting rough on him but you know he's he's dug himself this hole that everybody wants to just jump in on and start throwing the dirt on him and everything and i'm I'm kind of in that group because I'm like, go out here and prove to me that you can do something. You know, he didn't race well uh, Saturday night at Daytona either. He got caught up in a little uh, part of the melee that early on in one of those races, uh, first part of the stages or something. But, you know, yeah, he says he's going to be finalizing his contract. Now, a lot of people have been rumoring the fact that he's going to leave Joe Gibbs and he's going to move on over to 2311 Motorsports. Well, the question is, was 2311 going to stay with Toyota? Well, technically, if they're under the Joe Gibbs hub and the way that Denny Hamlin has worked this out, yeah, they kind of have to stay there and so forth. Toyota can can ill afford to lose another team right now at this point of somebody leaving and going to another, you know, car manufacturer. So uh, we'll see how it's going to be with Toyota. We'll see how it's going to end up being. Um, I, I don't know. I would be surprised if we, we might hear something um, maybe by Bristol. I made that prediction before Bristol might be the big announcement time for, for him and some of these other drivers. So we'll just have to wait and see how that really pans out. But, you know, that 2311 Motorsports is undergoing another big change, uh, one that uh, they had put in Ty Gibbs and had him running for the season along with uh, uh, Tyler Reddick. And now uh, the guy that they were hoping to get back is not coming back for this year or coming back for next year. Some news from last week that I missed out on asking you about uh, that I think is interesting. NASCAR and Netflix are teaming up, working on a documentary series uh, that will feature uh, the 2020, 2023 Cup playoffs. I mm -hmm. guess it, from the description I'm seeing, it, it looks like um, sort of like for people who've watched the uh, Inside the NFL, not the Inside of the NFL, the Hard Knocks series on Hard HBO Knocks. for years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, You know, behind the scenes footage, they'll be in there with the teams, they'll get some access to the you know the crew chiefs during race i mean all kinds of fun stuff behind the scenes stuff now it won't be uh be on the air until early next year but it'd be the perfect kind of thing after this season's over to get us ready for next year get us ready for mm -hmm. daytona and that kind of thing but uh this is this will this this looks like it's got some promise as far as i'm concerned yeah i think it's got some promise i mean they started this with uh nbc with peacock and usa they did this last year with some sort of a little thing about the life you know, here they are in the playoffs and so forth. But I think by it going to Netflix, it kind of, um, 
I don't know. It's kind of going toward that pay-per-view sort of thing. That makes me wonder where is NASCAR going to be possibly going uh, for the future when it comes up to the rights and negotiations and so forth. Uh, They still haven't ruled out Amazon out of this whole thing. They still haven't ruled out, um, you know, some other people involved. We know right now that ESPN is not going to be involved. I don't think uh, Disney is going to be involved in anything like it. But um, it makes you wonder uh, about this. And Dale Earnhardt Jr., executive producer of the series, I think, is what it's going to be for this whole look. Um, I think it gives you an uncensored look at the way it is. I, you know, I'm sure that I, I think I watched one episode or something like that. And, you know, if they did have any kind of swearing, any kind of cussing that went on, and if they had to bleep some of it out, they had to because of, you know, the tempers and they still want it to look good, you know, family sport. That's what they're wanting to make it look good. But, you know, uh, Netflix, it's going there. Uh, I think it's going to open things up and we're going to see the real behind the scenes that, you know, so many, so few of us get a chance to really see, you know, I haven't even seen behind the scenes, behind the scenes before I've seen them when I've been at, at Bristol and I've been at Charlotte and, and different tracks, but um, there's a difference, especially when it's at the shops, when it's uh, by the time it's transporting and what we don't see while, you know, we're kind of closed off from um, there on pit road and stuff when they're working on cars and so forth. We don't see a lot of the frustration and especially what goes on in the haulers either when they let loose, when they get in there. So I think it's going to be interesting to see this one on Netflix. One more bit of off the track news, kind of sad news. I mean, it's it's sad news. Kurt Busch, uh, never yeah. really recovering from that concussion in the uh, practice run last year, uh, announcing his retirement last week. Yeah, that's what I alluded to when we were talking about uh, Ty Gibbs and yeah. uh, Tyler Reddick and so forth. Yeah, they were hoping to get him back, and he makes this very uh, sad, somber announcement uh, to the media at Daytona and tells them that. Yeah, he's retiring. He's hanging it up. Now, will that be a move to the uh, broadcast booth? Don't know at this point. Uh, There's talk that he could step into the broadcast booth, but he has to really worry about this thing now, about this concussion protocol stuff. Even though he's out of the race car, he's still going to have to be treated for this concussion, and he's going to have to go through the therapy and whatever it takes. Um, But it's really sad that uh, a concussion cut him down much in the same way that it did Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, You know, we could have seen Dale Earnhardt Jr., I think, um, you know, a little bit more, but um, I think the wife, I think Amy was concerned about it. She pulled, made him pull back. He pulled back. But that doesn't keep him from racing a couple of – Xfinity series races like he's going to do at Bristol coming up here in September. But uh yeah, it's sad because um, you know, Kurt Bush is he's kind of been one of those at first before Brother Kyle made it onto the onto the market. He was the one everybody hated. He was the one that just everybody he had a, such a smart mouth. Um, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember the one that he um I'm trying to remember if it's John Kernan or no Jerry Punch. He and Jerry Punch, uh, Jerry Punch asked him a question at one point, and I think that was the nail in the coffin that got him out of Penske at that point. He was at Penske, and he was kind of, nobody knew where he was going to go from that point. Then he went with Furniture Row Racing, uh, racing for the guy that's out of um, Denver, North Carolina, that has the uh, Furniture Row um, stores. Um, You know, they base it there, and then... 
he went on there. I think he even qualified pretty good. I think he won a race or so with uh, Furniture Row, and that was after Martin Truex had departed. And then, lo and behold, he moves over, and he's back into a uh, Toyota, and he's racing a Toyota now, and then all this happens to him. But, um, you know, the, there was a lot of fun, a lot of fun while it lasted and stuff, and then there's always the thing, too, of what really happened in that motor home when that woman who was supposedly the counter whatever terrorism spy whatever she was and she put his head supposedly through the wall of one of those uh one of those motorhomes we'll never know the whole story out of it maybe he might write it in his autobiography a little bit later on but i don't think he's going to talk about that i think what we need to worry about right now is getting him better for from this concussion stuff and then also uh, just recognizing him what a great driver he was when he was out on the track and you know he raced for for roush for you know number of years then he moved over in penske and then you know finally for his last stop coming over to uh 2311 motorsports and he's actually helped them out here in the past uh this past year uh kind of showing them things tyler reddick and also ty gibbs um it's it's kind of sad to see him go this way and uh, who knows we may be seeing another driver eric almirola is being rumored right now at this point that uh, he probably will not be coming back to Stuart haas so um you know he said that last year but we'll have to wait and see what happens when when it comes time i just google i, mean, I hadn't thought about that story rod in a long time uh yeah. i just googled it real quick to I was going to make some joke and I don't think I want to make a joke about it now. He he said in court that she was an assassin. Yeah, that's what it was. She was an assassin. <laughs> and she in court denied it. Now who's going to, Oh yeah. Okay. He got me. I'm an assassin. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, he's got to write about that at some point in the future. You, uh, give, you giving that dialogue right then reminded me of something out of legally blonde. It's like, sure. I'm an assassin. Oh yeah. You know, like that and the head bobbing too. So. <laughs> I just got oh, a kick out of that. I had to dear. say that. Oh, man. So, all right. Back on the track. We got 10 races left. So, we're right. in the playoffs now. Uh, three sets of three races to knock the field down from 16 to 12 to 8 to 4. And then the final race in Phoenix. Uh, if you're a fan and you live in the uh, you know Virginia, Tennessee areas, uh, you're lucky. Bristol is one of the cutoff races. Uh, mm -hmm. Martinsville is the last cutoff race. So, uh, if you know, depending on where you are around here, you're not too far away from seeing a couple right. of uh, big races in your backyard here. Um, and actually, what Charlotte, I guess, is another one. So, I mean, yeah. you know, right within driving distance of us for a few hours, either way, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, the field gets narrowed down. All right. So, in Darlington this weekend, Sunday night, six o'clock start, um, on USA Network, what do you think we can look forward to, Rod? Oh. A lot of beating and banging, especially at Darlington. Uh, we may not see the wrecks that we saw at Daytona, but we will see plenty of one and two car incidents, uh, people hitting the wall. You know, one person that I, I meant to address too, we talked about Ryan Priest there, uh, talking about the Daytona re uh, wreck. Uh, you know, one we forgot about is another Ryan, and that's Ryan Blaney. Did you see the hit that he took when he went into the wall there oh, yeah, uh, yeah. early on? And he came out and he looked like he'd, he'd been on another world. He didn't know where he was at, I think. And he was being asked some questions in the infield. This is the kind of track that will do that to you uh, about five or ten times more fold if you're not careful. Because Daytona is just such a tricky 
racetrack and it you know it's known for that reputation of the lady in black and you know she reaches out to get you it's either because you've slipped up somewhere or the track is just starting to give and it's not got enough stick to it where the tires can stick to that high banking and so forth but i'm telling you this could be a good race um who will we see this time around in the winter circle? Uh, I don't know the way that the races have been going so far. I really don't know who's going to. Um, I think, like I said, it's going to have to be a proving point for a, uh, a Bubba Wallace. Uh, Bubba would like probably no more than to get a win. That would lock him in. Uh, you know, one of these uh, win right there would lock him into the next round. He wouldn't have to worry about making it to the cut, uh, but it would lock him in. But you know, those places, uh, you've got Ricky Stenhouse right now. Um, I don't know if Ricky Stenhouse is going to be able to make the playoffs. If he has another couple of races like he's already had, um, he's in trouble. Uh, so they could be knocked out. I don't know how it's exactly going to go, but that's that's what we're looking for. It's going to be a rough track. It's going to be a rough race. We'll just have to wait and see what this one's going to bring. And this one is at night, so it won't be as hot. Uh, they're going to have to let the tires come to them and stuff and getting that surface hot enough to where it's going to stick them to the, uh, to the track. And they're going to be able to haul around moving that track. You know, Eric Jones was a winner last year at, uh, the Darlington race as we went into the, the first round of the playoffs. And that was his first win with, uh, Petty with now legacy motor club. Um, I wouldn't expect any less from him to see him maybe even contend for a win because he likes Darlington and that's where he's won at before. So we could see that, but it's really anybody's guess who's going to be there. Who's going to be in the winner's uh, winter circle. After all this is said and done. Busy weekend. It's the start of college football this weekend as well. Um, you're wearing Virginia gear there, Rod. Uh, yes, I have to. I'm heading down. I mean, you know, you're you're down there in the part of the state that you yeah. you have to hear from the Tennessee folks. Virginia's playing Tennessee this weekend. Oh yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not envious of you there because you're going to be hearing about it afterwards too, Rod. I, I'm going down to Nashville for the game, but uh, Tennessee's 28 and a half point favorite going into this one. Yeah, um, going to be a rough few days for you after it's over. Yeah, I know, but I think I've got some of them convinced to say right now at this point, this is not going to be our year in football. Okay, but I also have to have a little bit of some. I don't know. I've got to have a little bit of hope out of this whole thing. I've been trying to teach my kids the whole purpose of hope in the first couple of weeks of English, and trying to teach them what hope is all about, especially about the dark ages and the way things went. Uh, Virginia's got to have some hope. Uh, it can't get any worse. Well, maybe not as worse, but you know, you got to look up. Things could look up for him, and I know that they've got so many questions right now with uh, quarterback. Uh, you know, I, I read an article. I think uh, just a little bit before uh, we came on this evening, I read Jerry's article about um, you know the defensive line. Uh, they're looking tough. I'm going to have to see it, especially against Joe Milton and stuff when he rears back and he lets one go, and they don't have the coverage where they're supposed to. It's going to be run into the races is what it's going to end up being. Um, yeah, Tennessee is Tennessee's going to be a hard opponent to start off with. And the Tennessee fans are already crowing down here. They're already saying that, hey, we, we've we got to start. We're going to get 1-0 and out of the gate, buddy. We're going to beat a tough Virginia team. Tough. I, I got to see it yet. These guys are going to have to earn it. If they, if they do pull off an upset, which it could happen, 
there's some people down here that's already talking about, hey, folks, we shouldn't be looking past Virginia. Man, if Virginia beat Tennessee and didn't win a game the rest of the season, that would be their Super Bowl right there. That would be the championship for Virginia football beating Tennessee. But we'll just have to wait and find out how it's going to go. I'm I'm talking down the chances, and then you know we'll see if if Virginia win, wins or even just yeah play well, just play. Yeah, well. that's all. You know, that's all we want. So just be respectable. Um, and make make my trip not that you know entirely uncomfortable. Um, I at least get some good chicken out of the deal, fried chicken out of the deal. So I'm heading down to cool Nashville. Cool deal. Yeah, okay. yeah. You know, I'm gonna be be down, and you get to walk around, you know, downtown district, Broadway, and all that fun stuff. Never been there before, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, that's me on Saturday. Then Sunday is the NASCAR race. Uh, keep up with Augusta Free Press. We'll have all the coverage this Labor Day weekend. Rod, as always, thank you for your time. I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks.